Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day and welcome to the call here at AusBiz. Ten stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Wednesday, the 12th of January. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great that you can join us. Let's get to our guests for today's show. Henry Jennings from Marcus Today and Andrew Weiland from DP Wealth Advisory. Happy New Year to both of you. Great Happy to New Year. Great to catch up. Now, um, Henry, uh, faster and sooner, that rhetoric we heard out of the mouth of... Um, of Jay Powell overnight, reassured investors at least um, for that session. Are you reassured? Um, I guess it's uh, hard to be reassured really these days that we know that interest rate rises are coming. Let's face it, you know, we are still at emergency settings across the world and uh, we are far from an emergency. I mean, the US economy is going to grow at four and a half, five percent this year in theory. Well, that's, that's the forecast anyway. So having interest rates close to stuff all does seem a little bit in extremists. So inevitably they will rise. It's like the boiling frog at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, if you put the frog in the cold water and boil it gently, then uh, the frog doesn't leap out. But if you whack it in there straight away when the board is boiling, the frog freaks out and you never get the frog to boil. So this is what Jerome Powell has to do. It's going to be a pretty tough trick for him. But uh, the markets certainly seem to be pleased. I think he, the tamping down was the key last night that he said in terms of uh, interest rate rises. So they're coming. It's like Christmas. It'll happen. It's just mm. a question of when. And we know that this year you know, we'll get three, maybe four rises from the, from the Fed. But it's still only be 1%. Let's put it in perspective. Yeah, the frog in the pot. Um, Andrew, are we being boiled alive? Oh, look, I've, I've missed Henry on many different fronts, in particular his analogies. So uh, it's a it's a good start to 2022. Um, but you know, Henry's right. Like, if you thought that by the end of 2022 that interest rates were going to stay where they are, you were just deluding yourself. So uh, certainly, 2022 2022 is going to be the year of rate rises. It's just how quickly it's going to occur. And really, I think we we're hearing a lot of the squawking if I can put it so eloquently, is around that hot money where there's been a, a lot of money chasing uh, earnings in uh, tech, and we'll talk about tech in a minute, uh, and, and all these sort of speculative bubbles, and uh, they're potentially going to get found out. So certainly uh, from, from my point of view, it's welcome because the longer they leave it uh, in, in increasing these interest rates, it's just mm. more pain down the track. So let's just have an orderly transition Henry's right. I mean, we're still operating on emergency settings. Is it necessarily an emergency? It's certainly not normal, but I don't think it's an emergency and we need to start moving back into the new normal. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, of course, questions are whether the themes that we saw in 2021 will play out this year at the same time. Now, of course, lithium, one of those that ran hot last year. Will that continue? Well, our stock of the day is Liontown Resources, ticket code LTR, lithium developer, signing an offtake term sheet with the South Korean-based LG Energy Solutions, another step forward in developing its flagship 
Kathleen Valley Lithium Project in WA uh, shares very much in the green as a result today. Andrew, do you like Liontown? Yeah, I don't mind it at all. Um, I, I don't follow it super closely, so I just had a, a quick look before. I'm sure Henry's got a lot more to say about it. In particular, the markers today, $12 million subscriber or whatever the value he's up to now. But uh, it's, a, it's a $3 billion company, and as you just said, they've signed uh, their first offtake agreement for that Kathleen Valley project they have with LG. Uh, and it's a five-year deal initially, starting in 2024, uh, around 100 to 150,000 tonnes. So it certainly is a positive for them. It vindicates their project. Of course, they just recently undertook that uh, placement back in December at uh, $1.65. And consensus, I note, is $2.15. So uh, lithium's not going away. The EV story is not going away, despite our best efforts here in Australia with lack of policy around that. Um, the mine itself's got a 23-year 20 life, so certainly this should hopefully be the first of many uh, agreements announced by Liontown, so I would think it's a buy. Mm. A buy, okay, even at, at, uh, given where it's been. Henry, do you agree? I mean, you just look at that share price there. It's absolutely exploded in the past 12 months. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? For someone who had little to say on Liontown, Andrew gave it a fair go. <laughs> I have to say... <laughs> pretty much stolen my thunder. I was expecting a passing and a deferring to my learned colleague comment, but unfortunately not. Uh, Liontown, yes, it is a buy, I have to say. Uh, it is one of the stocks that uh, one of our members has made an extraordinary amount of money at playing with and uh, has been the one stock conviction portfolio. He was a $12 million man at uh, around, I think it was around 80, 85 cents. He's probably um, doing an awful lot better now. The thing for me, I think, at the moment is the SPP, which finishes uh, very shortly, uh, that finishes on the 14th. Now, that share purchase plan price, which they're hoping to raise 40 million bucks. Now, SPPs tend to be the icing on the cake. It's already fully funded Kathleen Valley, 450 million bucks out of the placement at 165. There's another 40 coming from uh, the SPP, which looks to be a little underwhelming given the share price is below that SPP price. And I think that is weighing on the stock at the moment. Every other lithium stock has kind of exploded to the upside. And uh, certainly there has been some massive winners. And even today, we're seeing some good winners in things like Gallon Lithium is up 9%. We've got Core Lithium up nearly 5.8%. Uh, and that's building on uh, rises recently. So I think this one for me is a buy. Once that uh, SPP closes on the 14th of January, which is only a couple of days away, I think the stock could uh, pop back up towards the $1.82 level, especially given the deal they've done today with LG. And there's certainly tier one kind of offtake agreements they're doing fully funded. Now they're getting those offtake agreements through. It does look pretty good, I have to say. So for me, it is a buy. All right, that is a good start, gentlemen. Uh, it goes into the portfolio as a result. That is Lion Town. All right, let the rubber hit the road. We're going to start with National Tire and Wheel. Uh, it's these stocks, of course, picked by you. Uh, it imports and wholesales tires and wheels across Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Uh, recently completing an acquisition of the New Zealand business uh, Carter's Tire Service for around uh, $28 million. Mitch, wondering 
what thoughts would be on the share? It says it's growing at a steady pace. I'm a new investor. Would this be a good starting point or are they going to go sideways? Henry. Uh, well, this has certainly been inflated in terms of the share price. It has well and truly been pumped up. And uh, the SPP should be uh, pretty popular given that it's $1.35 for the stock at 161. I guess this has been a, a one-way ticket to, uh, to doing pretty well at the moment. I think it may have run a little hard. I'm always a bit worried about mergers and acquisitions with these sorts of things because uh, they do take a little while to bed down. But uh, it does look good. It can be quite illiquid from time to time. So that is something to bear in mind. The chart looks great. The chart has been going left to right, as we like to see. But uh, for me, it has just been pumped up a little bit too hard. I think if you were long it, I'd be taking some profits here. Uh, it's not an outright sell, but certainly uh, I wouldn't be piling in here just yet. But if you've got the opportunity to do that SPP at $1.35 with the dollar at 161, well, that certainly is a no-brainer. But I would expect to see some... Uh, scale backs for you in terms of uh, your allocation there. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see you not get too many there. I think the mm. date uh, for that is uh, the 20th of January. So a week uh, tomorrow is yep. the closing date for that. But for, for me, I think it's just a little one to take some profits in. Okay, I'll take that as a light. And Andrew, do you agree? I, I agree with my learned friend. Um, Certainly the, the PE of nine relative to forecast earnings growth of 10% is pretty attractive, that uh, PEG ratio. But uh, Henry has absolutely nailed it. That SPP at $1.35 with a share price sitting at $1.60. If I was an existing shareholder, why wouldn't I be selling at $1.60 on the hope that I would get filled at $1.35? Certainly no ex there's certainly no expectation that I will, but you'd be hoping to. So that's certainly going to weigh on the share price. So for the time being, uh, I think it is at best a hold, and I agree with Henry. It's probably, if anything, a bit of a lighten. Okay. All right. That is National Tire and Wheel. All right. To our second one, uh, Vanek MSCI International Quality Hedged ETF. This is QHAL, not to be confused with Qual. I guess you pronounce it the same way. Uh, question to Andrew. Now, these are not my words. It's um, his suppository of all knowledge on ETFs. I, 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 I'd say repository, but anyway. Um, <laughs> question of semantics, maybe. Uh, can you give us an opinion on QHAL, the currency hedge version of Qual, at a time like now when the dollar is low but likely to rise? International ETFs have benefited from the slow fall in the Aussie dollar, but that may change in the future. Uh, what's your view, Andrew? I thought you liked me, Andrew. I, uh, I was Something? a bit concerned when I saw this question <laughs> yesterday. Uh, look, lots to unpack there. It's a two-parter. First of all, I guess let's just deal with the hedging. The cost of the hedging, so in other words, protecting yourself against the movement in the dollar, qual, the one ETF to rule them all, versus QHAL is three basis points. So it's 0.4 versus 0.43. So if you're worried about where the dollar is going, for just three basis points more, you can have that protection. So for me, for you know clients who potentially are a little bit more risk averse or worried about the dollar, it's a no-brainer to take up the hedge version. However, some more aggressive clients might say this movement in the dollar, depending upon which way you think the dollar is going, may be advantageous to you. So really, it's around where your view of the dollar is going. But there are two products and the pricing between the two of them 
is neither here nor there. Andrew, personally, for my own super fund, I do qual, I don't use hedging. I have plenty of clients who do use hedging. It's a personal preference. Okay. Henry, your thoughts? Uh, the suppository of all <laughs> ETF wisdom. I prefer to call Andrew uh, the whisperer or the guru as opposed to uh, a Tony Abbott reference. So, um, but yes, I mean, Andrew's nailed this one as usual when it comes to ETFs. This, this of course, has massive exposure to the US. It has big exposure to Apple, about 5.8% in Apple. Microsoft as well, 4.8% there. Meta Platforms, which is the artist formerly known as Facebook, 4.8%. So you are taking a pretty big bet on the US market, as lots of ETFs do, because unfortunately, or, or rather fortunately, whichever way you look at it, the world is skewed towards the US in terms of global markets. So if you're looking at global companies, then unfortunately you can't avoid the uh, the Apples, the Microsofts, the Facebooks, the Googles, the NVIDIAs, the Johnson & Johnsons and those sorts of things. So it is skewed to that. So it has been a, a little bit underperforming recently because of that skew towards the US and the US has been you know, under some pressure, although it's been bouncing around. So if, if you're bullish on the US market, and you just want that global exposure. Uh, I think, you know, I, I'm long qual, as uh, Andrew says, it's the one ETF to rule them all. So it is my precious. But uh, this one, certainly, uh, if you're looking at hedging the Aussie dollar, which does appear as if it's got some upside potential, although we do have uh, a federal election this year, so that may hold it back. But I would prefer to go with the QUAL, but they both pretty much do the same thing to some extent. All right, so you consider it. You're not ruling it out. Well, if you, it's the one ETF to rule them all. So if you want the global equity exposure, mainly in the US, very concentrated, then that is certainly it. And we do hold it in our ETF portfolio, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving right along, um, fund managers. Oh, sorry, Andrew, go. Sorry, Andrew, just, um, and perhaps I, miss, I didn't hear you, the second part of the question, I might just quickly answer that very quick, quickly, because um, the other part of it was QL, QLTY versus QUAL. Why yep. would you do QUAL versus QLTY? QLTY is the beta shares product. Very quickly, uh, QLTY is 150 holdings versus 299 for QUAL, so it's a far more concentrated. And QLTY, if you're worried about tech, has 45% of its holdings in tech, whereas Q, uh, Qual is only, only about 38%. The big benefit for QLTY is that it caps the number or the percentage holding in a company at 2%. Whereas Qual, as Henry just said, it's got Apple, it's got Microsoft, it's got Meta, and they're all four to 5%. So nothing wrong with QLTY, but my preference remains Qual. Sorry, I just thought I'd better address that side of the question too. No, that's all good. Okay, all right, to number three, Magellan, we know uh, how fund managers have obviously benefited uh, during the course of the pandemic with so many investors uh, piling in. Brett, Brett wanting to know about this one. Um, you see saying your experts have been uncertain about this for a while. Uh, the context being the latest press release giving guidance about funds under management confirmed that there will be no change in performance fees. Uh, is the Magellan reporting of performance fees somewhat misleading, he asks as they separate their performance fee from their profits from funds under management. So the suggestion that their basis for their, their fees are some 60 basis points seem to distort the real returns. Um, and I should note, this is in our portfolio at this point. Henry, what are your thoughts? 
<laughs> um, I've got to say, I've been down on Magellan for a long, long, long time and have been very negative on this story. But I have turned. I have turned in the last few uh, weeks, I guess. And this is now starting to pop up on my radar as a buy. I've got to say, Hamish has had a pretty diabolical year in 2021. Uh, not only has he got the market wrong, but he's also had personal issues and company issues with the loss, of course, of one of his uh, main men in the business. So it's not been easy. And although that you say that fund managers have done well during the COVID thing, what really has done well, of course, is ETFs, where there are low fees and no performance fee. Now, I wouldn't say that Hamish is banking on any performance fee for a while because he hasn't had any performance to shout from the rooftops about. But I think this is one of those turnaround stories, hopefully anyway. So I've been certainly talking about this in our newsletter and on TV as a stock to be watching and a stock to buy. Now, it's not going to happen overnight, as uh, Rachel would say, but I suspect it will happen. To discount Hamish's IP, I think, would be uh, very silly in the long term. They have done extraordinarily well over the long term in building up that business. It's a $93 billion now under management. Uh, that's down from around 120-odd uh, since they lost the St. James Place money. The problem for them is that they don't want to see any more money leave the building. And uh, we may get some more news on that going forward. But $93 billion under management with, uh, I think, a market cap around $3.6 billion does seem a smidge cheap, especially when you compare it to GQG, which has a similar amount and about $2 billion more in market cap. The one that always sticks out for me as massively overvalued is Australian Ethical Funds, AEF, which is having a bit of a, a dive today. They you know, have around six, six and a half billion dollars under management and a valuation of sort of half what Hamish is worth. So um, they're doing something right because they have ethical in the name, but I like Magellan. For me, it is, it is now a buy, having been very down on it. I think mm. Hamish can turn this one around. Yeah, Andrew, your thoughts then? You feel as though that it, is, it has turned around, it is looking attractive? It's turning. I don't, don't think it's necessarily turned. And I note consensus is down 52% over the last three months, which probably is one of the reasons why the share price has got such a big belting. Um, and I would also note that a number of fund managers, not just Magellan, but a number of them have been under pressure over the last three to six months. So it's more of a systemic issue. And Henry touched on it briefly just before. There's now, I think the numbers came out yesterday, $134 billion in ETFs. So more and more money is moving into passive investing and moving away from active. However, if we look at Magellan, the company, 40% return on equity and a 59% profit margin. Uh, Hamish has, and his team has had a number of missteps, which is one of the reasons why they lost that mandate in the share prices. But uh, for me, it's certainly one that I'm pretty interested in at the moment. Can't bring myself to buy it just yet. I'd like to maybe pay $25 and see it on the up and up, but uh, it is certainly one on the watch list. So for me, it's a hold. A hold. Okay. So we'll look at that bottom line, means it does stay in the portfolio. Moving right along. Uh, now, speaking of COVID, those businesses that have done well, uh, Talia wanting to know about Ansel. Um, being a beneficiary of COVID with its disposable medical products, uh, but demand did fall off considerably early and expected perhaps, uh, in part because of those supply chain issues. Uh, once again, this one is in the portfolio. 
Um, Andrew, what are you thinking of Ansel at the moment? Uh, look, I, I don't mind it. And certainly, as I was just saying to you guys off air beforehand, you know, COVID was just a distant memory for us here in Queensland. But now that the walls of Fortress Queensland are down here, I am working from home. So it certainly is a lot more front of mind here. Uh, and so I can certainly see the demand for their products remaining pretty strong. I can certainly also, though, see continuing issues with um, supply, can see issues with shipping, uh, with freight as well. So that's certainly one of the things that's weighing on the share price for the time being. I note that earnings per share forecast guide is minus 5% for next year, um, but it's still got a pretty strong return on equity. It's about a 15% ROE, it's about a 12% margin. So for me, it would be a hold. Mm, okay, Henry, your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that Andrew needs some pictures if he's working from home because it looks pretty dull there. So I might have to send him up some uh, some pictures <laughs> to brighten the, the room up a little bit. Um, as far as Ansel goes, it's, it's had a pretty good bounce. It's been one of the dogs of 2021. It's one of the A stocks. And there's been a few of those A stocks that were dogs, the Appens, the uh, A2 Milks, Ansel. But it has been bouncing. And I guess part of this is that it's a second half story. So maybe we're going to start to see some uh, optimism emerge in this one that they can deliver what they've said they're going to deliver. It has had supply chain issues. It has had energy cost issues. It has had commodity price issues in terms of inflation, not being able to pass those along and also disruptions to their business model. But I think this one still has more potential to push higher, especially as we see the market may be skew away from those high tech and those growth stocks with no profits and uh, the, the dream in years to come of some sort of profits back into the more mundane, the more defensive sectors. And, and Ansel would definitely fall into that category. It's not sexy. It's not in lithium. It's not in uh, some sort of fintech that's going to take on the world. But uh, it does what it does quite well. And if it can handle those cost pressures and supply chain issues, then maybe it can deliver on the second half story. So for me, it remains well, certainly a hold. It has bounced off its lows. I think it's got potential to go higher, so probably uh, a buy, but uh, not not a screaming buy at these levels, having bounced you know three or four dollars uh, from its lows, but certainly very much a hold. Yeah, either way, whether it's a hold or a buy, that means it does stay in the portfolio. Just as far as those companies supplying PPE and the like, I mean, do you feel as though that demand is going to continue? We're going to move past that, perhaps once we all become infected, because. That's the way it's heading at the moment, and perhaps the demand will no longer be there. Well, certainly one would hope that's going to be the way of things. But, you know, what we've learned so far from, from COVID over the last two years, bear in mind that it's COVID-19 and here we are in 2022. So what we have learned, of course, is that variants do um, take hold and some are worse than others. Delta was a lot worse than Omicron. Who knows what the future is going to bring from this virus, which, which is being uh, a pesky little bugger and hanging around for far too long as far as I'm concerned. So mm. it's very hard to predict the future, but certainly at the moment it looks like the, the wave will peak and hopefully it will become endemic rather than pandemic. We'll just live with it like we do the flu. But um, as we know with the flu, it still kills people. It still can be quite debilitating if you get it. So. I think it's too early to say whether we've, we've seen the end of PPE or this is the year that the mask will be dropped yep. forever because I think we just haven't been able to be um, firm on that one. All right. 
let's move on to a telco, Aussie Broadband. Harriet wanting to know about this. Uh, in fact, last October it uh, provided an update uh, with guidance that up to uh, 60,000 broadband net additions for the second quarter of 22. Uh, however, it's had to come back on that, falling short of the guidance, following some teething issues with its uh, white label migration. Andrew? I mean, sorry, um, Henry, we'll go to you first. Um, Aussie Broadband. Um, Aussie Broadband has been an absolute market darling. All those ads with people holding hoses in their garden and saying how great it is has been a market darling. But teething issues with their white label products have taken the wind out of their sails. Plus, of course, they've made quite a big company transformational acquisition with OTW, and it's expected that will bring uh, EBITDA of around 100 million plus, so it will give them scale. But as with all acquisitions, you've got a meeting of egos, you've got a meeting of minds. It doesn't always work out. It takes a little while to settle down. So I think for me, it had such a massive run from around $2.80, uh, doubled basically. I, I'm in the hold camp on this one. I know there's some people that are very, very bullish on this one still, but I like to see how these kind of um, big takeovers, these transformational deals uh, work out because there is a lot of moving parts when companies get taken over or merged, uh, a lot of jostling for position, a lot of uh, people marking out their territory. So it is a hold. It's, it's got um, you know pretty good prospects in terms of uh, the company itself, but those teething issues show that not all plain sailing. So uh, for me, I would just be in the hold category at the moment and just let time and uh, let's just see how that um, merger does work out. Okay, Andrew, what category are you in then when it comes to Aussie Broadband? Yeah, well, today's show is, from my perspective, brought to you by Aussie Broadband because they tell <laughs> right. I'm coming to you. I'm, a, uh, I'm an Aussie Broadband customer and, and have been for a while, um, and a happy one at that. Uh, I note that consensus is $5.48, and they're trading at about $4.48 at the moment. So certainly there's some scope to grow there. Henry's bang on, another one we're going to talk about in a moment. When there's a, a big merger or a big acquisition on, you have to be very careful around uh, cultural issues uh, and basically sort of legacy issues. How do you sort of deal with all that? So from my point of view, Aussie Broadband is a hold. But uh, how many clients have they now got? 445,000 clients and growing. Uh, they are going pretty well. And I wouldn't be surprised if you asked me again in sort of six, 12 months' time, I didn't say it's a buy. But today, it's a hold. Yep. Well, you're looking very stable there with your connection. So that's uh, certainly a vote of approval right there, I would have thought. Um, all right. Well, that's our first five, uh, plus our stock of the day. Let's uh, sum up where we've been then. Um, as I mentioned, stock of the day, Lion Town. Um, Andrew likes it. We're talking lithium, of course, uh, being one of the big themes for last year. It's likely to continue. Uh, Henry talks about the share purchase plan there. Uh, still room to run, he thinks, uh, but we've just had this uh, news of an off-take agreement supporting um, its, uh, its business, essentially. Look, both have slapped a buy on Liontown, so it goes into the portfolio. Our first stock, as picked by you, National Tire and Wheel, importing and wholesaling tyres and wheels. Uh, Henry saying, look, it's pretty liquid, uh, although the chart does look good, but a bit expensive. It's say light, and Andrew agrees uh, to lighten there, um, although he said the uh, uh, price to earnings looking uh, pretty attractive. Um, our second one, Vanek, in, 
uh, MSCI International Quality Hedged ETF. This is the QHAL. Uh, we're also talking about Qual, obviously uh, uh, also in that category at the same time. Uh, Andrew says you sort of need to consider the cost of hedging. It could be a matter of three basis points. Um, both picking uh, Qual because the other part of the question was how does it stack up against QLTY, quality from beta shares, both saying they prefer Qual. Uh, the quality one has is very heavy tech in terms of its exposure. Um, all right, so that's uh, our first ETF that we dealt with. Magellan. Uh, it is in the portfolio. Henry saying it's starting to look like a buy. It's been through a lot of issues, both the certainly behind the scenes. Um, he's saying it's looking cheap. He's got a buy on it. And Andrew's saying, yeah, obviously um, citing those systemic issues. Um, interesting, though, both noting that more money sort of moving into ETFs at this point in terms of uh, uh, passive investing. He's got a hold on it, so it stays in the portfolio. And Ansel, uh, obviously COVID beneficiary, although not so much over the past six months or so. Andrew's saying, obviously, you've got to consider those supply chain issues and shipping and the like. He's got a hold on it. Uh, Henry's saying it was a dog of 2021, potential to push higher. So it is a potential buy, but certainly a hold at least. And finally there, Aussie Broadband. Henry refers to it as the market darling. Uh, did have some teething issues. He's got a hold on it. Andrew, he's voted with his feet because he actually uses it. That's a good sign. He also has a hold on it. All right, let's move right along then. And our next one is Money Me, a digital consumer credit business. Uh, Robert Robin saying, uh, it seems to be somewhat flat and it seems as if they might be undercapitalized. Is it worth hanging in there? Uh, has also, or is acquiring Society One um, in attempt to boost revenue, customer and profit growth there? Andrew, what are you thinking of uh, Money Me? Money Me. It almost sounds like a Austin Powers movie, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's one that's, so again, you, we were just talking before about Aussie Broadband and that acquisition of Over the Wire and those potential issues relating to management and trying to put sort of two businesses together. And we've got exactly the same challenge here with Money Me and their acquisition or merger with Society One, which on face value looks like a great uh, business put together but you've probably got 12 to 18 months of them trying to work out new systems, who fits in where. They're quite open and relating to the cost synergies that they're actually going to get from this. So in other words, is there a loss of headcount? What corporate memory is lost? Trying to bed down that business. So whenever I see a, um, a merger acquisition takeover, that to me is a big amber light. Um, even though the rationale might make sense, and in this case, you're talking about a 12% increase in revenue. So there's lots to like about it, but that alone is probably something I'd be holding off on. Um, I, I guess the other thing is just consumer credit in general. You know, the market, um, sorry, from a consumer point of view, we're, even though we're not in lockdown, we're still the consumer is under some form of pressure. We started the show talking about where interest rates are going as well. Is that going to impact upon their sort of uh, credit quality? Now, I note that they sort of talk about the average credit score for their clients is 721, which is pretty high. But uh, even so, if you look at the cost of an average mortgage in Sydney or Melbourne, it's sort of a bit out of control at the moment of interest rates on the rise. So consumer credit would also make me a bit wary. So for me, this is a hold. 
Okay, consumer credit makes you wary. Henry, does it? Roman wrestling today, I have to say, uh, and this one is for me a hold. Uh, part of the problem is not just the uh, the acquisition, as Andrew says, or the merger of of the two companies. Society one ending up with I think around thirty percent of the new entity, and Money Me around seventy percent, is the fact that it's so illiquid. You know, there's ten thousand shares traded today. It does have moments, uh, but the share register is very concentrated with Clayton House and Scott Emery between the two of them owning around 57% of the company. And uh, Stephen Bannigan has another 11.6%, uh, according to Iris. So with that kind of concentration, that's, you know, that's 60, 70% is tied up with three or four uh, major people with, involved in this company. So it makes it hard for anybody to get set in any size. So you can move it around a bit, even on you know, a few shares. 10,000 shares traded in a day. I know it's quiet. I know it's Christmas. I know it's holidays, etc., etc. But for me, this is a hold. This will trade between $2 and $2.20, uh, maybe with the odd sort of freak out every now and then or the odd push higher. Uh, you just trade that range, I suspect, for the time being uh, and wait till this, uh, this merger is settled down and maybe a bit more liquidity. So Greco-Roman wrestling rules in this one. I'm afraid this is a hold. Nothing wrong with a hold, um, particularly if you do hold it. Uh, all right, that is Money Me. Next, cab off the rink, 360 Capital Group. Um, now, Matt wanting to know about this. He's saying it seems to go unnoticed, 20% below. Now, lots of insider buying over the past six months and a great dividend. Should I add more? In fact, uh, Irongate Group has received a revised proposal from 360. Um, seeing it acquiring essentially the shares it does not already own. So you need to factor that in as well. Um, and I should note also, it is currently in the portfolio. Henry, how are you seeing it? Um, question I've got to say is why? You know, why be there, to be honest? Three cent dividend on an 83 cent stock. I mean, it's hardly stunning. Uh, this one has gone sideways and then down and then sideways again. This is big boys playing big corporate games, uh, lots of egos at play, taking over each other, doing stuff, trying to be uh, you know, an investment house. I, I really can't see any reason why you'd want to be there. It, it's neither got uh, massive growth or, or massive income. So for me, you know, go play in stuff that's moving. Go play in stuff that's actually got some upside if you want to make some money. If you want to just sit there and watch your money uh, you know, go sideways and 84 cents or maybe 85 cents at, if, at best, then fine, go for this one. But God, there's a whole market out there that's moving uh, you know, percentages every day, big percentages every day. Go and play in stuff that's got momentum rather than get trapped in one like this. This, this is a game the big boys are playing, lots of corporate actions, lots of insiders trading in terms of directors buying and directors selling. Uh, there's lots of egos at play here. Not for me, not interested, move on. Okay, so that's an avoid, not because it's bad, but you just don't care. I just think uh, there's better things to play. Yeah, I, don't, okay. I, don't, I don't care. I've, I've, given, I've given up caring about their, their deals because they're just, you know, they're just chest pumping and they're, you know, they're standing on the beach at Sorrento or Palm Beach and uh, doing deals with each other just for the sake of it. Not for me, thanks. You can keep that. Oh, all right, Andrew, you better tell us what you think then. I don't like it when Henry holds back, it holds holds it in. I think it's just important he tells us how he feels, you know, to sort of get it out of his system. <laughs> um, 
Oh, look, I'm not a great fan, to be frank. Um, you know, we talk about companies that are pretty liquid. This one has about $100,000 a day, which is traded. So, again, one of the things you look at is how difficult is it to exit or get into a stock? And with a $172 million company, to have $100,000 a day, uh, that's pretty trivial, frankly. Um, Look, there's, I wouldn't say that there's anything wrong with this business, but, you know, maybe the, the best way for me to describe it is I'm underwhelmed. So, uh, no, thank you. Okay, I think you both are in agreement there. Um, yeah, to sum it up, why bother is Henry's line. Okay, uh, our, our eighth stock is uh, the ETFS Ultra Long NASDAQ 100 Hedge Fund otherwise known as LNAS. Um, there's got to be a shorter way of saying that, uh, Andrew, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, via Instagram, wanting to know your thoughts on this one. Is it a good buy to hold for the long term? That being two to 10 years, especially for new young investors in their 20s. No, I think you have to hold that think... thought, Henry. Andrew, you're going. Sorry. Um... I think we can answer this one pretty quickly, Andrew, because after you get through the lengthy disclaimer on the first page, like a pop-up window, then very clearly, and this is specifically to the question, uh, LLNAS is not recommended for investors as a long-term portfolio position. So there's, there's your answer. So, right. you know, um, there, there is nothing wrong with this in the context if you're trying to because there's a uh, a pigeon pair short version as well so if you're sort of trying to take a position on the nasdaq um, and you're comfortable with gearing you're comfortable with short selling you know all this sort of high risk stuff there are tools for you to use but to the viewer you know who's who reached out to us i'm a new investor with a long-term view i'm in my 20s this would probably be one of the last ones that i would think about for mm. them I would be more thinking around just a simple Australian index one, a simple international index one, dare I say the one ETF to rule them all. There are 230 plus to think about for that particular client or um, viewer rather, this is not for them. Yeah, you say there's a short version of it. What, what's that one called? Uh, S put you on the spot, S sorry. Yeah, I think it's S. NAS. I'll quickly check that whilst Henry tells us how much he hates it. Yeah, well, I think that's pretty obvious. You were, you were uh, shaking your head there, Henry. Um, has Andrew summed that up for you? Uh, yeah, pretty much. This is, a, this is a trading ETF to some extent. Long term, this is going to underperform uh, because of the way this thing rebalances and rehedges itself. Uh, you kind of lose something in the translation. There's a, there's a lot of these, these moving parts. Uh, they create friction. And uh, friction, unfortunately, is not the most efficient thing when you're working with machines. So you don't want to have friction. And those moving parts are going to hinder the performance of this one. By all means, if you, if you like technology stocks, you can trade this to your heart's content or the short one, uh, which Andrew was digging out the code for. But uh, for a long-term investor, you will find that this is probably not for you. And the mere fact that, as Andrew rightly points out, the website has the uh, the big letter writing saying this is a, not a long-term instrument. Uh, it should be raising uh, some uh, 
some certainly some alerts and alarms in uh, in people but nothing wrong with it in the short term as far as trading goes if you like nasdaq if you think the nasdaq's going to bounce trade away trade to your heart's content bear in mind though that this will trade off nasdaq futures pricing so uh, during the day here if the nasdaq futures take a tanking uh, this will take a tanking as well and similarly on the upside too so that's how they will hedge it it doesn't just reset every day depending on what the nasdaq closed at this is dynamic uh, this product and uh, yeah, it's probably not one that I'd look at, I must admit. If, if you're going to go as mm. a young investor starting out, use the most powerful force in the universe, compound interest, go for some quality, stick it away. Uh, and in 30 years time, you'll go, thanks, Henry. Thanks, Andrew, the whisperer, the suppository of all knowledge. Um, and, and you can raise, raise a glass to us. Yeah, all right. Um, read the fine print, in other words. That should be your first step. Andrew, did you come up with a, that alternative? Yeah, I, w I was correct. It's S-N-A-S. So, and again, just as Henry said, you know, for clients who have a particular short-term view, this is the perfect tool. Long-term investor, not so much. Fair enough. Okay, we get it. Uh, good call on that one. Okay, Nanosonics, uh, ticker code N-A-N. Albert wanting to know about this now. It is all about infection control. Uh, in fact, it's just developed a product, I think, that cleans flexible endoscopes. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Um, Henry, Sounds painful. What, <laughs> yeah, it does sound a bit painful, doesn't it? What, what do you make of nanosonics? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to avoid the endoscopes, that's for sure. Um, as far as nanosonics go, I mean, this one has been uh, badly affected, I guess, by COVID in the US, especially uh, the Omicron and the fact that, you know, people aren't going into hospitals or electives or any other kind of surgery which is which is holding them back a little bit I, I still find it hard to get really really excited about this one the technology is great trophon is their uh, their major product which does uh, disinfect medical instruments so it's a it's a great product but I, I just yeah I just can't get really excited about this one it costs it costs money to have big sales teams on the ground in the US um, you know wage inflation you're fighting for people um, it's not been a great chart. It's been going kind of sideways, uh, maybe in a bit of a range, but um, not, not for me. I think this one falls into the Greco-Roman wrestling camp. And if anything, it is a hold uh, because as the US does come back out of uh, Omicron, maybe that will uh, be a beneficiary for them. But uh, it's, a, it's a weak hold. It's uh, mm. certainly not a knockout hold. There'll be no gold medal performance for this one just at the moment anyway. Okay, Andrew? Yeah, look, it's a hold as well, and there's certainly nothing wrong with it at all. But I look at the return on equity at 6%. I look at the forecast earnings growth, albeit at 88%, which sounds really attractive. But you're being asked to pay, pay a PE of 99, it's not me with a stutter, 99 times earnings for 88% EPS growth. So sort of fails that peg test. So, or peg ratio rather. So uh, for me, it's not a bad one, but you are certainly being asked to pay a fair bit of money for it on a time of weakness, if you could maybe pick it up five to 10% cheaper. But uh, if I hold it, I'm not running it, selling it. So it is yet another hold. Okay, well that in fact means it stays in the portfolio. I didn't reveal that beforehand, um, but given you both slapped a hold on it, that's where it stays. Okay, and finally, 
Let's talk uh, water, uh, water co-infector. Chris wanting to know about this now. This is water treatment manufacturer, distributor of uh, uh, also of products. It was also that the, the uh, began where Swimmart uh, was the franchiser of that, one of Australasia's largest and, and oldest, in fact, uh, pool and spa networks. I think it's been around about 40 years. Um, so if you own a pool, you may have had some dealing with some of its products. Andrew, Waterco? Yeah, interesting business. And Henry just referenced before, I think it was with Money Me, whereby when you've got high concentration of ownership, it does make it less appealing from an investing point of view. And I note that the CEO and chairman, Mr. Go, has around 60% of the business. So that in itself doesn't mean it's not investable, but it's just sort of a bit of an amber light saying, well, if I'm an institution and I'm looking at investing in something, and again, it's that liquidity piece, how easy is it to get in and out of something? If I have one shareholder holding 60%, that doesn't make it as liquid. So that's certainly something, I guess, to consider. I guess the next thing is it's a $129 million company. So, you know, it's not exactly a huge company in itself, so not a great deal of liquidity, $129 million company. So that probably knocks out a number of investors. The actual underlying business itself looks pretty interesting, in particular that water treatment um, part that they have going on, as you said, what's going on with pools, the company in there. Uh, October, AGM was talking about how the US is starting to pick back up and they're seeing a lot of interest, but seeing places like China and Malaysia come under pressure. The PE is undemanding at 10 times earnings, and it's you know it's sort of got all the right numbers: 13% return on equity, 11% margin, forecast growth of 15% EPS. So there's lots to like about it from that point of view, but I think it's a hold. Okay, the water business, um, Henry Waterco. Well, I've got to say, for a company that is in the business of water, it's got absolutely no liquidity at all, <laughs> and it does. It doesn't even trade. I mean, why bother? I mean, it may go up, it may go down, but at the end of the day, you know, this thing doesn't trade. It hasn't traded for days and days and days. Um, you know, again, it goes back to my point, you know, why be locked into these kind of stocks? If there's a 10 cent spread on it, if you were a buyer, if you were a buyer, you'd have to pay $3.80 and you'd get 15,000 shares. If you wanted to sell those 15,000 shares, you would get out at $3.50. At the moment, there is that little liquidity in the market. I mean, it's swimming pools in China. Come on. I mean, really? Um, is that going to be a growth business? I don't think so. Uh, just forget. It's another one of these. Why bother? I mean, there's so many stocks that are exciting and interesting out there. This is not one of them. If it doesn't trade, what's the point? It's basically a, a private company that has a listing to make it look better for the Chinese market. Not for me. Harsh. But we appreciate... Harsh, um, but fair. Yeah, I was going to say, but fair. Uh, that's what we want from you. Yeah. Um, actually, you've been through a few companies today and you both mentioned the fact that they're illiquid. Is that just a big red flag or is there any sort of exception to the rule? Um, it's it's not a big... I mean, it's a red flag. It's not a big red flag. It does depend on why they're illiquid. If, you know, if you've got a... A shareholder that's got 75, 80% of the stock, why have they bothered listing the thing? Um, but it does give them a valuation, obviously, which they can take to the bank. 
and it does give them that kind of certainty that it's listed. It, it, is, a, it is a red flag. It doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't touch them. Uh, I guess the prime example of a company that was fantastic, which is absolutely impossible to get set at, is Macquarie Telecom. It has been an absolute ripper of a business. It's done extraordinarily well. It's a great business, and I would never put anybody off from buying it because of the liquidity, but you have to bear that in mind, especially if you're having a big-ish go. Uh, now, that obviously doesn't affect most retail shareholders, but liquidity doesn't just mean the amount that's traded, but it also means the amount that's in the screen at any one time, because you know buying and selling is, is the business of the market, and, and the Waterco one is a prime example. You know, there's there's 1,500 on the bid between 370 and 350, so that's mm. that's the liquidity that worries me rather than just the fact that it doesn't trade huge volumes. Macquarie Telecom has been one that has been an absolute ripper. And uh, it's hard to get set, but uh, you know it has been a standout company. And, and that yep. shouldn't have put anybody off that liquidity. It just makes it that little bit harder um, to, uh, to get set. So it's not, yep. it's not the end of the world, but it does, uh, it does mean you need to watch it. Andrew, just briefly, I mean, does that put you off the illiquidity? It's an amber light. It's not a amber. red light. Okay. Uh, Wise Tech is another one that comes to mind where you've got Richard White who had a lot of shares, but he's simply just trying to provide a mechanism for employees to share in the business and creating a market in which to do so. So yep. it's, it's not a deal breaker, but it's one you need to think about. All right. Okay. Well, let's sum up where we've been with the second half of the show there. We began with uh, Money Me Digital Consumer Credit. Andrew's saying, looks like a good acquisition just as far as that uh, for Society One is concerned, but uh, it is consumer credit. That's a concern. He's got a hold on it. Henry saying it is illiquid, uh, very concentrated share registry. He's got a hold on it also. 360 Capital, uh, it is in the portfolio. Um, and... Uh, well, it's got a, um, a gone sideways, essentially, Henry's saying. He's just not interested in it. Uh, no reason to be, he says. Uh, Andrew, also not a fan, once again, saying it's illiquid. So on that basis, we're saying it is out of the portfolio. Um, the ETF, Ultra Long NASDAQ 100 Hedge Fund, otherwise known as LNAS. Uh, Andrew's saying, uh, Andrew's saying there's a lengthy disclaimer there which will tell you that it's not for long-term investing, and that was the question, whether it should be. Uh, so that's a big no, likewise, there from Henry. And uh, also Nanasonics, uh, this is infection control. Both have a hold on it, saying it has been badly affected by COVID. It does have some great product, but it's a difficult area to compete in, particularly in the States, but it stays in the portfolio as a result. And finally there, Waterco, once again, talking about illiquid shares, um, high concentration of ownership, Andrew's saying, he's got a hole in it. Henry's saying, why bother? Well, I think that probably pretty much sums that up. Henry, thanks for joining us from Marcus Today and Andrew from DP Wealth Management. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. All right, so that is the show for now. And uh, any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can flick us an email at the call at osbiz.com.au or you can tweet us at osbiztv. A reminder where to find those stocks we have in the course portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.